0: Welcome to Swisspreneur, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan and I will be your host. Today, we're here in San Francisco and we'll meet with Marcus Akkamus. He's a serial entrepreneur and co-founded the ventures students.ch and the Fashion Days Group, a successful e-commerce business. Nowadays, he's focused on early stage startup investing with his own fund, Canopy Capital. We will talk about how he actually built the successful ventures. Actually, both of them were huge successes. And also how he grew the businesses out of Switzerland. And then he also moved to San Francisco, the Silicon Valley himself. We will of course also talk about that. As always, you can find additional content on our social media channels. So make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Markus, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today and thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I would like to start with the first question right away. You worked as a senior consultant at UNIC, a Swiss digital agency. And then you co-founded Students.ch. How did this happen? How did you start your own business? How did you get involved with Students.ch? So um, this was starting, I think,
1: 1998. Actually, it was another agency before I joined Unic, um, CareLogics, which was, um, a big supplier or a digital agency for banks. So they build all the website for banks, Credit Suisse, uh, Julius Baer, Fontobel mm-hmm. at that time. So it was a big thing, obviously, in the first, uh, internet wave. Um, and so I, I, joined the team there, um, as, uh, in the design department. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, the first thing they asked me if I have a suit and um <laughs> next day we were going to one of the private banks in in Zurich um having a meeting talking about their website and uh, I was totally overwhelmed in this uh, private banking world, which was totally new to me mm-hmm. um and i you know I brought in as the digital expert and design expert, and I was participating in this meeting um basically not knowing much and um but still had to basically convince them to you know what i'm what I'm doing there mm-hmm. and during that time, um, I uh, I met Jan, Jan uh, my business partner, which uh, we are still Jan Wichel, which we are still working together for uh, twenty two years now. Um, he was doing an internship. He was studying at the uh, university, doing an internship in the technical department there. Mm-hmm. So together we built uh, the private bank website from Frontable, mm-hmm. um, and this is how we got to know each other. Cool. And uh, after. I think we have done this like six months or twelve months at Creologics. Mm-hmm. We said, "Okay, we go back to study, and uh, we can do what we have done here ourselves as well." So we started to um, have our own digital agency. At that time, um, Blue Media—it was uh, what was the name—and uh, we started to build websites for, you know, small, small, mid-sized companies. Um, and we also Jan at that time was running uh, Students.ch. So it was about two years old and um, he started this company for uh, basically you know uh, getting free tickets for concerts and uh, you know being a press uh, student it was called Swiss students magazine mm-hmm. I think at that time and he got a lot of free tickets uh, of to participate to soccer games and concerts and all that stuff and uh, when we um, partnered up we we saw hey there, there is actually great potential mm-hmm. um, uh, making something bigger out of that and uh we started to work on that. And this is how I came very naturally into
0: entrepreneurship. Cool. If, if I understood that correctly, the, the project was sort of a side project for Jan at that time. Yes,
1: that's correct. So
0: yeah. when did he then actually decide to, to move full time into that startup? Because that's probably not a super easy decision to take. I mean, we were both uh, studying at that time. Mm-hmm. So
1: we all the time did everything at night, weekend, whatever. Right so um we started to um to boost it as much as we could and i think um when uh, we brought in some other teammates Mm -hmm. or team members um then the things we realized, okay, let's, let's really create a business out of it. So we right. need more manpower. Sure. So even then, we all of us did it basically part-time. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of freelancers, how you would call it today, um, right. who worked part-time. But in the collective, we could really do something. And um, yeah, it was a smooth transition as well. So we basically just um, tried
0: to dedicate as much hours as possible. You also mentioned your team. You had two additional co-founders. So you, you were four, four co-founders in total. Yeah. Most of them had a pretty strong business background. Yeah. Was this an advantage? And where did you also see some disadvantages about that? Because nowadays, most people or investors would look for mm. a technical background, but also a business background to have the best of both sides, yeah. basically. I mean, b- back in that time, you know, like uh, developers were rare. You know, it
1: was not like... Uh and you know, like uh, tools were limited, and you know the the, the level of of uh, you, you basically tried to do a lot of new things. So it, the development was rather like um, research, kind of. Okay. Um, and we had um, Jan himself and and Frank, who were in the were one of the you know the, the two two team members. They developed everything themselves. So they worked together and shared and you know see what they could do and so on. And, mm-hmm. Uh, Jan also had a studying business um, and then uh, with with uh, me focusing more on design and marketing um, that piece uh, everything was branding corporations uh, mo- partnerships and uh-huh. then um, uh, um, Audi came in uh, where he really focused on um, partnerships like um, um, how we call them at that time premium partnerships like banks and, and mm-hmm. telecommunication companies who basically sponsor. And finance what we're what we're doing. So, so it was at the end of the day, it was a good mix of skill set on the table. So we basically could do everything ourselves, sure. um, which was uh, efficient because we didn't have external costs.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Is, is this skill setup that you had? You mentioned product, you mentioned designer, you mentioned uh, marketing, and also partnerships, which I would mm-hmm. also call a bit sales mm-hmm. and partnerships. Is Absolutely. this also the the skill setup that you rec- recommend nowadays for a company to start? Or does that really depend on the business model that they have?
1: I mean, it depends, obviously, on the business model you have. If you do, like, B2B, you know, enterprise, it's a totally different story than when you do consumer. Um, In general, I think um, sales is a very important component from day one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people or startups or entrepreneurs think, like, they just build an amazing product. And uh, the product is selling itself, which uh, in some cases is, is, is really happening. But in most of the cases, it's a lot of hustling. And um, what I say as you do like r and like, um with a product, it's almost like you have to do the same on the sales side, because mm-hmm. you have to figure out what are the best target audience, what are the best channels, um, mm-hmm. you know, what is the message? Which you um, communicate to what channel? So right. there is a lot of testing these days uh, because it's so optimized. Um, yeah. You know, you you know, performance marketing is such a complex thing today. You have yeah. thousands of possibilities, but you have to manage it. And I think this is as important as the the, the, the product itself, and not more important.
0: Is this something that you think Swiss startups
1: often underestimate? I mean, to be frank, I'm, I'm not so up-to-date with the Swiss startup mm-hmm. um, a- ecosystem anymore. But um, from what I see, I do think so. Um, Switzerland in general is more B2B, first of all. So more like really product, enterprise, uh, you know, great innovation. Um, and then you have totally different sales cycles. So, so I think um, we are m- much more focusing on, on direct-to-consumer businesses, um, which is then obviously a comp- complex
0: topic. So mm-hmm.
1: I cannot give you a clear answer um, be-
0: because also it also super depends on, on sure. the product. Yeah. Then one day with students.ch, you scale it up uh, successfully and you were walking through Zurich's main station mm-hmm. and there you saw something uh, pretty cool. Can you tell us what, what you saw and how that this, this made you feel in yeah. that moment?
1: So yeah, this was um, this was an amazing moment. Um, I remember. Um, so we partnered with UPS uh, at that time, also one of our main uh, main core partners, um, which was you know big thing at that time. So a uh, big bank um, before uh, everything started to shake in that industry a bit. Um, so and I was walking through the main station, and and one moment I was staying in the main hall. There is a main hall with a big billboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, an ad of of, uh, of UBS promoting uh, students.ch, the partnership we had, and there was a student sitting in front of a desk, and on this desk was a um, desktop, and in front of this, and this desktop was um, the students.ch website. And then you st- I stood there and, and look up, and then you think like, hey, this design, we did all together and programmed it, and yeah. now it's scaled up on a big billboard. Um, which was fascinating because like, you know, you develop and work on day and night on these little pixels and move them left and right. And suddenly you see it on, on a big, big, um, big billboard in uh, in front of you. And this was uh, uh, definitely a super emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Um, staying there, all the traffic left and right, and you lose time and you look up up there and uh, it was a uh, yeah, it was a cool moment it may, really made it tangible because you know mm-hmm. with digital products it's all time hard to really have uh, a sense of um you know feel, feel
0: the product absolutely then in, in 2007 after your successful scale up mm-hmm. you sold your company to axel springer mm-hmm. that was a pretty big success story for switzerland as a startup ecosystem mm-hmm. and uh, i think a lot of people also read about that and probably were inspired by that mm-hmm. story can you tell us how did this sale happen, and was this also always your intention to actually sell the company? Because you also had investors on board, for mm-hmm. example. So um, at that time,
1: this was th- there was a lot of go- a lot of things going on in the market, especially publishers. They started to be very active in you know mm-hmm. shifting to digital. Um, right. So after they missed the first wave, or mainly missed the first wave, so this was the second wave, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, and at that time, it was just uh, Studi uh, It just has been sold in Germany um, to Holdspring. So, um, and then we started to talk to different uh, publishers. We had some some links to some publishers, also to Holdspring mm-hmm. um, at that time. And we started to talk to different publishers and. You know there was a high interest in obviously students is a super sexy target audience uh, with a high potential Um, so um, they saw it's a very nice niche and uh, we dominated the the market in switzerland Um, by far we uh, at that time i think we also expanded to to germany um, and then uh, Poland was a topic together. Then okay. with Axel Springer, who was active there. So anyhow, um, so there was a, a deal. Um, we were negotiating with different publishers, mm-hmm. and uh, we we joined them uh, with uh, or Axel ex- Springer finally uh, made the best um, um, deal
0: mm-hmm. in terms of money, or also in terms of other aspects. This is a good question.
1: So I think it was a little bit both. Okay. Um, with Studiefoutset, I remember there was a discussion, Studiefoutset was growing incredibly fast but they didn't have a profitable business model. So they basically wanted to buy us because we were profitable basically from day one. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to have our business model to use it for Studiefoutset. Nice. Then this didn't happen. And then with Oxford Springer, we were in discussion with expanding it to other markets. and. Um, I, I can tell you can uh, can't tell you the, the details at the end, but it was a combination of a few mm-hmm. things. And the the question regarding how, why we wanted to sell it, it was not the attention at the beginning. At the beginning, we just built, we sure. just did, um, and then we saw things happening in this market, and um, you know, these publishers started to be active, and mm-hmm. they started to buy, and uh, they started to be a dynamic, and we were. I would say on, on top of our revenues, on top of our, you know, in the, in the best shape. Um, right. And then we just started to talk to them, and uh, it was super natural also how everything happened. And mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, students is still existing today, which is fascinating to That's me right. after like um, 20 years in business. Um, yeah, super happy that uh, this brand is still out there, and
0: uh, it seems uh, it was a good acquisition for Oxford Spring. Mm-hmm. You also had investors on board. So usually as soon as you get investors on board at a certain time, they expect a return, which is usually an exit in terms of a trade sale or an IPO. Mm-hmm. Did you feel any, any pressure also any need from the investor side mm-hmm. to then actually sell the company? Mm-hmm. You mentioned it felt very natural yeah, to you. Yeah. So I just want to elaborate a bit how that also played a role in making that decision to sell. It didn't make uh, was not important at all because we were by far
1: the um, main shareholders. So we basically didn't have external money. So um, you know we grew very organically, mm-hmm. which is completely different than today. So I mean, imagine like when we started or Jan started in ninety seven. Till 2007, when we sold it, it's like 10 years. Uh, today, it would not be possible to just do it organic or it would be just very hard because of competition and so on. Right. So we basically um, didn't have investors in just, a ve- I think, one year before we sold. Mm -hmm. Um, The business, we um, sold some of our shares uh, to some investors to just get some money because Mm -hmm. we didn't know we were going to sell it. So to take a little bit risk, but we didn't have
0: like this pressure from the investors. Okay. And I know our community is very curious to hear specific numbers. Can you tell us how much money you sold students.ch for and how much money you personally made from that deal? So what I can tell you is... um,
1: in, for, for myself, I had a multiple of about 50, so mm-hmm. what I have invested um, was a pretty pretty good uh, return in investment. Um, about 50 times, and um, I can tell you that uh, StudiVZ has been sold, I think at that time, for about 90 million euros, mm-hmm. um, and when you compare Switzerland with Germany, we are about uh, ten, ten, 10 times smaller and then you have an indication uh, without uh,
0: giving you to do too much details. Sure. I think uh, people can do the math on their own. Exactly. Yeah. One year after you sold, uh, sold students.ch, you started a new company, yeah. um, the the Fashion Days Group, yeah. an e-commerce company mm-hmm. focused on the Eastern European markets. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go to a completely different industry?
1: So, yeah. The, so, so, the story here was... Um, um, after we faded out, um, my, uh, my partner was, uh, or Jan, was working at uh, Hewlett Packard at that time. So he ro- ro- uh, was rolling out the uh, direct-to-consumer business in Europe in mm-hmm. uh, eight countries. So he brought a lot of e-commerce experience. Um, I was helping with um, some uh, during earnout out period, uh, integrating uh, students into Oxford Springer, then fading out. And then we said, OK, wh- what could be the next hot topic? Um, and we started to do a lot of research. Um, and one of the research we did was Eastern Europe. So we had a friend uh, who was investing in, Eastern, in the Eastern part of Europe mm-hmm. in agriculture. And uh, I was traveling with him to those markets, um, the beginning to Romania and Hungary. And then we started to look into these uh, markets, what is going on in the online uh, sector. And we realized that, you know, it was just like, U.S. What is happening in U.S. is happening in Europe about like two, or three years later, and then same thing happened from Europe to Eastern Europe. Um, mm-hmm. So at that time, uh, you can imagine like credit card that people were not trusting credit paying with credit cards online. Exactly. So uh, in in Europe this was catching up. Everybody was booking flights, everything online with credit cards, mm-hmm. and at that time this was not happening in those markets. So you could see this is going to happen. The question is when is happening. And what we did is we started actually five different um, companies' projects to really figure out what, has, what, what is getting traction. So we uh, obviously started a student's platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a dating platform, like a Parship kind of um, model. We were selling um, sec- secondhand notebooks, contact lenses, and also fashion. So. Um, cool. And fashion was a a business we saw like Vont Privé. At the end, these were all copycats also happening in Switzerland, Germany, everywhere. Um, And uh, we we didn't know anything about the industry. We didn't know the markets. So we just started this company or these projects, took some money, hired some people. I was moving to Romania, living there for a couple of months. And we started to launch all these projects. And then you basically could see what is getting traction um, and uh, fashion by far was really going through the roof. Um, I remember I think cool. the first campaign, so they were all the time like these flash sales like for three days available. Mm-hmm. And I think we were selling Calvin Klein t-shirts. And I think we sold in the first day, like 20 uh, first two days, 20,000 euros in sales or something. Whoa. So it was tremendous <laughs> because like all these markets um, they didn't have or still have limited access. I mean, these days it's different, but back in 2009, so you couldn't, it was hard to find the Calvin Klein t-shirt around the corner. So mm-hmm. there were not so many um, stores available, especially not on the countryside. There was no Calvin Klein t-shirt you could buy or somebody sure. was shipping. And then we obviously had a price discount. So it was uh, super affordable because Very it was all season. Boom, it was really going through the roof. And then we scaled, um, yeah, we basically shut down all the other businesses, mm-hmm. took all the employees. I think one, the contact lens business, we gave it to the employees. They still run okay. it today, I cool. think. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we just focused on that. And I think we grew to 800 employees in three years um, in 10 that's markets. A, that's
0: we very impressive.
1: Was uh, was ri- quite a ride. Um, and we expanded super fast in other markets because some players were popping up and then we had um, started to have conversations with uh, some guys from Czech Republic, mm-hmm. which were also um, doing the business in Slovakia. So it was naturally that we super fast expanded and we wanted right. to become market leader, which we became after like uh, two two or two years in business, basically.
0: It's, that's an, an amazing story. Before we talk more about this amazing story, which is, I think, a bit unknown in Switzerland, mm-hmm. Uh, i would like to to go back to the point where you say you started five businesses in parallel to find Mm -hmm. out what actually gets Mm -hmm. traction yeah this i imagine is pretty hard to manage all at the same time because you don't have a full focus how did you really successfully manage these different businesses all at the same time to get enough traction on on one business that you can actually then pursue full time i mean uh you know at the end of the day, it was not successful. So, we this is
1: why we shut down all the other businesses, but one was so uh, still. Um, but, but, but it, it was super challenging. I mean, we had like, you know, uh, basically a project owner of or like for each company. So, okay. we, it was kind of an incubation. So, we hired these people mm-hmm. say, Okay, Silvan, what what do you want to do? Or, are you interested in this or that? And say, oh, Okay, sure. this. Um, we also acquired a team who was doing a business before. So, we really did. Uh, You know, I was not familiar with the the, the business incubation, but this is basically what we did. And Mm -hmm. I remember those days when we had, it was super challenging, you know, like you had a meeting about dating, you know, like two hours. And then you switch to fashion. So, and how we call it switching costs was taking about 50% of the capacity because you just try to dive into these different verticals. Mm -hmm. um, And it's so hard for your brain to process and then, Within that vertical, you can just scratch the surface because you will never be able to really deep dive into a certain vertical. Which, right. if you want to do something right, you really have to trim it uh, day and night. And uh, this was not possible. And this was one of the challenges that uh, we uh, had to. Uh, luckily, had one one horse which was really uh, uh, running super fast, and we just you know uh, focus on on
0: that mm-hmm. one. Is this a setup that you would recommend new entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs to to pursue as well, to launch several businesses at the same time and see which one gets traction? Or is that something that probably only makes sense if you have previous experience and also previous earned money that you can actually invest yourself?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Um, In my point of view, maybe not launching different businesses, but um, if you have a product what I would do is do like ten different landing pages on the ten different brands um different price pricings um promote the product a little bit in a different way, see what is getting more traction, and then reverse engineered start to uh, uh, you know develop the product more in that direction mm-hmm. what what you don't want to do is like working two years on a product you're super convinced that um you know, people are buying it for X price, yeah. and then they don't. What are you exactly. doing? So yeah. the earlier you know that a certain product with this price tag, I can sell it, and you see this a little bit with Kickstarter models. I think this is a very right. good example mm-hmm. um, that you see early traction and you see okay, people are buying um, this water for five bucks. Um, sure. So th- th- this is se- definitely something I would w- would highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- really see what. Very early being out in the market, knowing what is getting traction and then adapting the product uh, towards right. towards it.
0: So I think that goes in the same direction as you mentioned yes. before, R&D for sales and marketing. Yes, sort yes of. exactly. Yeah. Cool. Then you talked about the scale up that you produced, 800 employees in three years. That's crazy growth from the employee side. Also your revenue grew rapidly. Yeah. How did you manage and produce this very fast scale up?
1: Oh, pff, this is a very good question. I mean, it was a- almost unmanageable. Um, I mean, uh, again, like we had um, w- with, with Jan, um, we had a, a good split. So Jan basically was really working on the core. Like we had like a central organization mm-hmm. with logistics and operations and everything, okay. uh, ERP and whatever um, in, in, in Romanian bureaucrats. So he was uh, ensure operation operational excellence, and then I was more like front runner in in uh, in the market. So I was going in a new market, meeting lawyers, accountants, county managers, hiring people, um, right. and uh, trying to set up those markets. But you know, I, I, it was just like it was. Uh, you know, we had just interview days. We interviewed like ten. Flew in the city, interviewed uh, 10, 12 people, um, take a decision, flew out. You know, it was uh, w- w- was was crazy. But um, also from the logistic point of view, I mean, we basically never could build a logistic to handle all the goods we were selling. You know, I mean, with this $15,000 or $20,000 sales of the mm-hmm. first campaign, um, we got this you know product shipped in. Sometimes they were not in a good condition, and uh, we had returns. So, like 25% of all the stuff came back. And we uploaded, um, we had eight photo studios. Um, Mm -hmm. We uploaded every day about uh, 5,000 pictures, 500 new products every day. Translated those in uh, seven languages with five currencies. um, Had a bunch of people retouching pictures. You know, like uh, in the photo studios, just models coming in, uh, photographers taking pictures, retouching them, translating them, describing the product, shooting them out um, was was crazy, and uh, it, it was. You know, it was just uh, how, how I call like uh, creative problem solving, which I think is one of the most important skills for an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, because rationally you you can never run a business. It's impossible to manage a business like this, you know. It's like with the timeframes and we built stuff in our warehouse um, before we got permission, you know, because we we had no choice. We had to take, take the risk otherwise, you know, we just had a uh, huge uh, backlog in uh, Mm -hmm. serving customers. So it
0: was a ride. Before we continue with the show, we want to give you a little sneak peek of what you can expect in next week's episode of the Swiss Printer Show. We'll be back in Silicon Valley with Marcus Ockermus, and we'll talk about hiring and managing people. We cover the most common mistakes startups make, tough decisions like having to lay off many people at once, but also great and significant moments like when Marcus met his wife in a job interview. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice and tune in for an all new episode of the Swiss Printer show next week. And and then I mean basically uh, you also sold this company also in 2011 um and to a to a South African company Naspers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Was this there your intention after you had already sold your company uh, students.ch before? Was this your, your intention to sell uh, Fashion days group as well or did that also more happened by accident? Um,
1: th- this was more, more the intention. So uh, first of all, we saw that uh, we believed at that time that all the big players from the Western, from Western Europe will roll over to the east. So we were kind of in a hur- hurry to really build up markets leadership. Um, and then our business became way too big um, in, in uh, f- for our investors in, in a sense of we had a huge working capital. Mm-hmm. So we basically, on those markets, what I mentioned earlier, you had um, cash on delivery. So you didn't have, like when you were purchasing the CK t-shirt, um, you didn't pay immediately and we got access to the money. So right. we, you ordered it, then I had to basically go to the supplier, buy the product, because we didn't carry it on stock. This is, was kind of the business okay. model. Yeah. Um, so I had to do prepayment because we were new in the market. Mm-hmm. So I had to pay the t-shirt, I had to get it shipped to our warehouse, then ship it to you. You were not at home taking it back. So it took us, I can't remember, three, four weeks until we really could collect the money. So the more we sold, um, the bigger became this huge avalanche in ahead of us um, working capital um, to basically buy out revenue. So we had like this revenue, but we needed money to pay out, to, to realize the revenue. Sure. Um, and this was uh, a big stretch for our investors and ourselves. So we, we knew that um, if we want to grow on that pace, we need you know, a strategic player basically coming in. And uh, we started to have a process looking for a strategic player, mm-hmm. and uh, Nespers, which is uh, the third biggest e-commerce player globally, after Alibaba and uh, um, Amazon. So they uh, they're, for example, main shareholder of Tencent in China. So they basically bought in all emerging markets um, businesses together, like classifieds mm-hmm. and e-commerce businesses, including um, central and eastern part of Europe. So it was a very natural process. They basically consolidated everything. Mm -hmm. So today, Fashion Days is is part of basically the Amazon of Southeast Europe. Um, So it made a lot of sense that they came in because there were a lot of synergy effects, um, which is super relevant in e-commerce business um, due to, uh, yeah, you have to be super efficient. So Mm -hmm. it was was an initial uh, process which we started together with agreed with the board and investors. To go that road, Uh, um, and we uh, had a company supporting us in this process, and uh, we did it. And then after that, we integrated the company for like three years uh, into the
0: group. Yeah. And how did that acquisition turn out uh, in in terms of you know money wise? Was it a better exit for you personally than Students.ch?
1: I mean, depends on how you look. It was about, uh, I think. about ten times bigger, approximately. <laughs> um, but obviously, there were more investors in. I think sure. I personally made a had a multiple of ten to fifteen, something okay. like that, on my my investments I invested as well mm-hmm. um, in in the business. So um, yeah, it was just just another dimension. And yeah. and in the group, then you know, it was uh, first time, and we really saw you know, what is really happening globally, you know, sure. super global, um, present uh, everywhere, Kazakhstan, Pakistan, um, all over the globe, China, mm-hmm. everywhere. So it was uh, super, super exciting for
0: us. Yeah. One very interesting thing I, I think you mentioned in the beginning is that you saw an opportunity, you know, influenced by trends that you've seen in the, in the US or also in Europe, mm-hmm. moving to other places a bit later. Is that also something that you think still applies today in a more connected or also a bit more globalized world that you can still capitalize on the trends that you see in the US, for example, coming to Europe three, four, five years later?
1: I personally, it's, uh, I think you can debate about this. I personally think this is still happening, mm-hmm. first of all, I think, um, but somehow I think it's gone. Um, I believe that the business is just much more global these days. I mean, depends, again, what business you're in. But, um, you know, big players like Ubers and Lyfts and uh, House and all these players, um, they, they just kill internationally when, when they, they're hungry for it, they get capital. Sure. And you battle sooner or later these guys. I think that they acquire companies for an incredible price. Um, I think this time is a little bit gone. hmm at least what I see. Um, I cannot speak for, for the entire market, um, but uh, yeah, like with these big players, you can see they just aggressively go into markets and have get a lot of cash to do so because there's so much liquidity on the market. Mm-hmm. But I think in Germany, I mean, you know, you probably know better. Um, it's still happening that uh, there are some some copycats and um,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah, uh, probably it's still, it's still an opportunity, probably still an opportunity. And, uh, yeah,
0: but a bit less than back in the days.
1: I think a little bit less than back in the days. This is what I feel because there it was really like, okay, what is next? And then, you know, and, and, and today I think what also changes is is like every industry is, you know, it was easier to identify big businesses Mm -hmm. back then than today. So today, like, you know, each single industry is completely disrupted. So there you could see, like, you know, in the first wave, it was in publishing. So you knew, okay, like classifieds and mm-hmm. students and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then e-commerce was a big topic, you know, like the whole e-commerce wave came and flash sales and fashion, Salando and all these yeah. businesses. And then, you know, suddenly you have it in each industry. So in transportation and right. in B2B and in uh, food and in... Agriculture and it's just everywhere these days, mm-hmm. um, because there is, um, or what how we call it, like a, a democratization of entrepreneurship as well. It's so easy to build a new company today. Mm-hmm. I remember in, in fashion days, we we basically had to, we had basically each morning our our website was was uh, blown up due to traffic, so we couldn't just plug into a cloud basically, you know, uh, buy what we needed. We basically had to decide, should we buy now another hardware server Mm -hmm. uh, to hold the traffic just in the mornings? And then the rest of the days, because Mm -hmm. there we had to pick, the rest of the days we just don't use it. So it was really a balance of investment. These days, these kind of problems um, do not exist anymore. So you need $1, you can start a company. Back then you probably needed maybe like $10,000, $20,000 just due to to infrastructure and um,
0: equipment. Absolutely. One also important point you mentioned is the timing factor. Mm -hmm. Uh, For your start of fashion days, you probably hit exactly the right timing before the big players were moving there, but also after paying uh, with credit card or buying through an online shop Mm -hmm. was highly accepted or getting more and more accepted. Mm -hmm. So looking back to, to fashion days, to your whole Cool and crazy ride that you had. What role did timing play from your perspective?
1: I mean, obviously, timing was su- super relevant. Um, but we didn't knew, you know, that um, we really hit that market so strongly. Okay. Um, we had a guess, um, but again, what I mentioned earlier, I think you really have to test R and and sales to really see. Um, if, if, if there is traction, you know, mm-hmm. and that you really hit, you know, what was happened here in, um, with Uber, for example, you know, Uber who started here, basically the whole taxi industry was, was a mess. So they didn't show up, they were rude, you know, everybody hated to order taxis. It was just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then one day to another, Uber was available and the whole customers were so frustrated that overnight, basically, Uber had traction. In that city. Yeah. So um, these are super exciting business models, but um, I, I knew I know some guys who, uh, you know, talked to Uber, to Uber founders very, very at the beginning and they said, you know, we didn't see that coming. They didn't see that coming. They hired a CEO to run that business for them mm-hmm. because they said, okay, you know, we give a shot, but we don't know. Sure. Um, and then, obviously, they, they jumped in and, and uh, uh, managed a business, but it, it's really hard. I think it's certain... Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to really figure out if, if you really hit that momentum
0: right away. Absolutely. Then after your 10x exit, your second exit, a couple of years later, you also started to become an investor with your first investing company, Canopy. Uh, You mentioned on your website that you uh, want to enable 1 billion people to live healthier and happier lives by 2030. Mm -hmm. What was the motivation behind starting this investing company? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, this was was, uh a... Process. So
1: first of all, it was like the industry. So the industry was uh, clear that we, we switched industries twice before. Um, and uh, right now, I think it was not so much, it obviously is a big, huge industry, health industry, which is transforming tremendously in the next 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but all it was also a personal motivation focusing on that topic. Um, In in my case, um, I think we talked about this earlier, Um, I I had a herniated disc uh, while I was fading out at fashion days. uh, You know, no sports, no activities, sitting the whole day, stress, a combination of of, uh, various uh, factors which brought me in a position where I couldn't walk for two weeks. It was Mm -hmm. a really uh, life-changing experience. And when you realize when you're not healthy, everything else uh, is, is not important anymore and uh you know going that route and then um, entering you know talking to doctors who wanted to do a surgery like uh within one week telling me like i have a 50 percent chance that i feel better um you know making surgery on my back which i said like i don't want to do that and uh chose to go an alternative route and realized how difficult that is. You know, there is mm-hmm. acupuncture and I started to meditate and I started to change my diet and more plant-based eating and so on. Um, doing yoga, uh, whatever is, is uh, yeah, uh, relevant for feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no support. There is n- super hard. You have to, you know, call friends, say, do you know someone? You know, it's, it's just like, um, tough, It was tough for me, you know, like as a young patient, um, compared for an older patient, it, it's just almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was one, the per, really personal experience. And this combined with our uh, consumer focused businesses, which we all the time did and we, what we love, um, uh, was was clear that we want to do something in that space. This is why we also want to address or access one billion people. Because we believe the end consumer is really the driving force in that shift, um, giving you tools and, and uh, um, products which are easy, accessible, that you can manage your health um, mm-hmm. much better than, than today. So this was a combination of, of uh, reasons. And the, the second questions uh, I think, was about from entrepreneur to investor, right? Or why right to set up a fund. Um, this is uh, quite a transition, I have to say. Um, at the beginning, we started um, an own project again. Um, mm-hmm. So we said, hey, we, we cannot just invest right now, um, which uh, didn't get the traction we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at the same time, we did one investment uh, in, in, in this company in, in per- based in personalized nutrition. And we started to develop this idea how we can invest and build up an ecosystem in in that space, um, owning this consumer-driven preventive health space, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of things happening, obviously, here in the Bay Area. This is why I'm based here. My my partner is based in in, in Zurich and Berlin, um, covering uh, Europe. Um, So we really have a good understanding of what is going on in that space. Um, And uh, we love this idea, love to talk to entrepreneurs, um, which really appreciate that we have a similar path. So Mm -hmm. we have been there where they are today and we have gone through that. Um, We we really know firsthand how it feels uh, dealing with investors and getting money or not getting money. So uh, they really appreciate that. And I think today we're really happy being in that role um, of of supporting them and Mm -hmm. uh, seeing super creative, amazing products Every day, which, which uh, honestly, I'm, you know, I'm surprised like what, what people have in mind, and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do it um, myself.
0: Before you also mentioned the motivation was your s- sort of, you didn't do sports, you had an all- unhealthy lifestyle, that was also sort of a result from from Fashion Days. If I understood you correctly, is this something that you sort of your price that you had to pay to scale up the company so quickly? or is this just something that you didn't pay enough attention and would have been avoidable?
1: I mean, it, it clearly would have been avoidable. Um, so uh, it, it was clearly a combination of different factors, you know, it's like you do a lot of sport, you know, if you just do a, a sport regularly and be active, um, uh, then you reduce the risk tremendously. If you uh, reduce your sugar consumption if you um, uh, you know um, make sure that you sleep enough that you have a good balance obviously this is uh, this is uh, could could be entirely avoid uh, you know I could totally um, be, be healthy um, mm-hmm. at that time so and it, it, it's just hard you know it's just hard when life gets you and I uh, think um, you know you want to do a career step or you should, uh, just one more year and I will be there and and you don't pay attention so much on what you're eating. You travel a lot, you sit a lot, you have a lot mm-hmm. of meetings, so you sit the whole day. Um, and these are just like things humans are not built for, and um, we uh, we have to learn again to be active. We need watches and trackers mm-hmm. to track our activity, and uh, you know we have to learn to sleep again, um, what it takes to, to sleep well, uh, what it takes to, to eat well, and, and things like this. And, this shift is happening and it's uh, but it takes time it takes time though.
0: now you live in the san francisco bay area yep. um, you once mentioned when we met personally uh, last year that here this is the champions league or the super bowl to uh, put it in american terms mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. what makes you think that uh, i mean it's
1: pretty uh simple it's like you know I would say almost every company who has a global relevance Mm -hmm. or I would say every company has a global relevance needs sooner or later be in this market, obviously. Um, Now you can see east or west coast, but it's just happening here. Here you get connections, here you get big funding rounds, here find super talents. Um, The whole world is looking what is happening here. Um, I all the time say like, you know, when you make it in in, in San Francisco, you have like a national relevance yeah. and you have a global relevance. E- even though it's a relatively or Silicon Valley, it's a relatively small area, but it has a local or a national and global relevance. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of established uh, investors say like, you know, sooner or later, if it's a relevant company, they knock on my door. So. This this is this is at the end reality and this one thing and on the other side you have um, huge a huge talent pool. So imagine that um, from China the best people come here, from India the best people come here, from Europe the best people come here to mm-hmm. to this area. And the one uh, out of ten, the one person who makes it, you can be sure that this is a very talented person. So it, it's just. Um, yeah, you have a lot, a lot of super talented people, and the one who really make it, it's uh, to make it uh, uh, among the best. And I think this is, um, yeah, a, a very magical and um, impressive area here. Um, why, why, this, where this
0: ecosystem mm-hmm. just works works so well? Also, a lot of companies from from Europe or mm-hmm. from all over the world actually aim to come here, Mm -hmm. Uh, when do you think that makes actual sense? Of course, if you say you you will be a relevant company, then sooner or later you have to be here. Mm -hmm. But before you know that you are a relevant company on your way there, when is actually a good time coming here? Because a lot of people also just come here, they have very high living costs Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of money to actually scale up operations here. Mm -hmm. So coming here at the wrong time can also sort of kill your company, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that, that,
1: that's a good question, which I, uh, you know, I, I think in general, like from Switzerland, I think it's all the time when an entrepreneur decides I want to run a company, it all the time comes with an investment, financial investment mm-hmm. and the willingness to go out of your comfort zone. You know, you can say, okay, no, I stay there. I, I you know, it's fine, but you probably won't make it globally, probably, uh, may there are some exceptions. If you say, okay, I'm taking the risk, I go out of my comfort zone, I'm moving here, start the business here, yes, everything you mentioned is true. On the same time, you have a higher risk to make it and get it funded in this ecosystem than when you just probably stay these days in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So and then when it's the right moment, I think um, on the same time, I have to say that everything is super global now. And I think to develop as a young company in San Francisco doesn't make any sense unless you're really on a high, high, super artificial intelligence level where you really need top, top of the top developers. But if you have like regular developers, I will never do it in San Francisco. I would do it somewhere in Europe or in Eastern Europe. Mm uh, and then having sales and marketing here, and I think venue. This is what we did, for example, as well with Base. So Base is only available on the U.S. market. Um, so um, r and is still in in Berlin, um, um, where we have just like you know much better um, uh, price advantages um, sure. compared to uh, in, in various ways compared to here. But here, obviously, we have to be when it comes to audience and, and sales and PR and everything. So right. uh, th- these are good combinations in my point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, see, we see a few companies doing that. A um, uh, company from Tel Aviv as well we are talking to. They're um, planning to um, you know, do exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So um, we see this tendency from European companies having a sales and marketing arm in the U.S. Cool.
0: I think we've talked about a lot of great stories that you shared with us. Before we conclude this episode, I would not like to miss the chance to ask you about your favorite tools or gadgets that you use on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that comes to mind thinking about that? Um, you know, uh, in, in, in our space, like in this
1: consumer-centric um, healthcare um uh, there are a few products um, which, which I use. One, w- one obviously is, is BASE, so personalized vitamins and minerals, mm-hmm. um, which uh, basically all of us are deficient in vitamins and minerals. There are several reasons for that, uh, mainly due to changing lifestyle. Um, and what BASE does is uh, send you a, a device at home where you can uh, do a blood sampling mm-hmm. um, yourself, which is entirely pain free send this device back to the labs and uh, you get all your results in, uh, on your mobile uh, where you see where you're deficient. Um, and then based on that, you get these uh, personal um, packs where you really get what you really need. So it's really um, personalization is a big topic. So this yeah. is what I use. Then I um, just uh, uh, used um, uh, the other week um, uh, glucose monitoring. Real-time mm-hmm. glucose monitoring. So um, obviously for, for diabetes, uh, this is a big topic, you know, you, when you have to inject how much insulin. Um, so basically there is a company, Abbott, um, who has a device which you um, add to your uh, arm. Mm-hmm. It's like sticks, like uh, permanently. Okay. So you can wear it for two weeks. It's size of a you know, bigger coin. Mm -hmm. And then you you hold your phone here and you see your real-time glucose uh, levels. And you learn, depends on what you're eating, how the glucose spikes, and then insulin comes in. So you start to understand your your body much better. And I think Mm -hmm. everything that is um, continuously monitoring um, is super relevant for understanding our bodies. so the, the, these are devices I'm, I'm using and an Apple watch I'm using, um, uh, you know, phone, obviously. Um, so, you know, b- base, basic things, but mm-hmm. um, I, we believe that much more things will help us to understand our bodies much better
0: and uh, eat um,
1: more personalized than today.
0: I think this is also a very authentic way of uh, dealing with the tools that you either support or that you deeply care yes. about. I think this is. It's it's
1: it's it's there. You know, we try to invest in companies um, with products which I personally use, and Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I I truly believe in. And um, this is uh, amazing when you can do that um, to combine your personal beliefs with uh, with uh, what you're doing for business. Mm -hmm. And this is for us super relevant. Cool.
0: My last question for this episode: Are there any additional resources like? Books, blogs, or podcasts that you could recommend to our audience?
1: Yeah, um, I have uh, f- few um, few podcasts I'm listening to. I think How to Build It. Uh, this is uh, from Guy Ross. This is uh, a cool, a cool, um, cool podcast mm-hmm. where you have a lot of quick learnings and um, how what it really takes to build up a business. I think uh, with with amazing stories. Um, uh, I listen to Joe Rogan. Um, great episode with Elon Musk, uh, for example, um, sometimes. And then um, when it comes to um, books, I read a lot about um, personal growth, um, um, a lot of, um, for example, um, The Power of Now, um, which is a book from Eckhart Tolle, um, which uh, basically focus on, like, how you live in the moment um, Mm -hmm. rather than in the future and the past and how you do that. Um, So being just more conscious. Uh, These are things which uh, I'm personally very interested in, but also, like, for our businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot of being conscious about things um, rather than just running after a lot of things in life. Um, And then um, I read a book about persuasion right now um, where it's about... um, you know, when it comes to sales, how you talk to people, what, what are good techniques and uh, what are good um, ways uh, to communicate and uh, listen, and, which is, again, super relevant for each entrepreneur um, because they have to talk to investors and talk to clients and partners and so on. So the better they become in that, uh, the, the more efficient is their, is their business or probably more successful is their business. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Marcus, thank you so much for taking the time today for this first episode. It was a pleasure talking to you and I wish you lots of success for all your future projects that you're tackling at the moment.
1: Thanks so much, same to you. Pleasure talking to you guys.
0: Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like the content that you just listened to, We will be thrilled to receive your rating on Apple Podcast. Next week, we will already be back with a new episode with Marcus, where we will talk about hiring and managing people. Marcus actually had to let go of 100 people in just one day. That was a super tough experience that he had to go through. But on the other hand, there have also been fun parts. For example, Marcus met his wife during a job interview. We will talk about plenty of learnings that you can take away for your business, as well as Marcus' personal experiences and stories. I'm sure that you don't want to miss this. So make sure to tune in again next week for an all-new Swisspreneur episode.